0: That's stamps.com. code program
1: I miss
0: you.
2: What's good, Internet? It's March 8th, 2022, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 473. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Patrick Klepik. Hello. Renata Price.
1: Howdy, gamers.
2: Our producer, Ricardo Contreras. Yo. Uh, So, we are all cozy, working at home today, uh, which is increasingly a privilege uh, in an era where companies are uh, issuing return-to-office mandates and there's more and more pressure to get back to what constitutes uh, as normal, even if normal is a long gone memory. Patrick, this week you've been covering uh, some controversy internal at Riot uh, around their attempts to make their staff return to their Santa Monica office. Uh isn't it Santa Monica? Uh, yeah, I guess is that the specifically? It's like it's listed as Los Angeles, but I guess you would know better. You were <laughs> you were out there. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean I drove by like it, yeah yeah I drove by it a lot. Um, okay. <laughs>
3: <so>. <laughs> um. Yeah. So this. So uh, I have a piece uh, up now called uh, "Riot Games Tells Workers to Return to Office Without Vaccine or Mask Requirements." Um. In which the the gist of this piece is after speaking to a number of employees and reviewing, um, uh, some like Slack and email messages sent from Riot to their uh LA offices. They have offices all over the world. This is like very specifically speaking to their um. To their LA office, which I think has something like 3,000 employees. Um, uh, the company has like even doubled uh in the last couple of years since they had <laughs> their last uh flare-up um due to uh, uh, the Kotaku piece that examined their their culture. Um and the gist of it is that uh Riot Games, like a lot of other companies, this is not unique to video games. This is this is a societal shift that is happening um really aggressively in early. Uh, 2022 uh, is that as federal and state mandates uh relax uh in response to kind of being out of the uh, was ever the, the flow of the, uh the omicron I forget which is the low I guess that's the the ebb. flow that's the, the ebb. ebb uh yeah. of omicron um at least this this era of the of the pandemic two years in that a lot of places are uh, as a result dropping uh mask requirements, vaccine requirements, Uh, testing requirements, Um, and that is something that's happening this week as Riot uh, in their LA office uh, does sort of a rolling return to office. It's not everyone coming back at once. It's kind of on a per-project basis, but it is part of a uh, move in which the vast majority of employees are going to be coming back because Riot, uh, and this was true even before uh, these uh, federal and state mandates were relaxed, wanted to be a company uh, that was going to be returning to the office. Like they consider that part of their culture. They consider that part of their, uh, you know, creative mojo, however you want to put it. This is a company that does not want to become uh, like fully hybrid remote as a result of two years of like largely successful, you know, ongoing development of games and other initiatives. Um, and the workers that I spoke to, some of which, uh, uh, two of them still work at Riot, one of them had quit in, in advance of these policies being rolled out because they were frustrated over the past two years of how uh, Riot was communicating, how they would eventually handle their return to work. Um, you know, a, a lot of what's happening here is, sure, they have, do they have masks on site? Yes. Um, you know, is do they have these uh, RFID chips uh, that go alongside your uh, office, like, you know, accessing different um, um, different buildings uh, that uh, in, in essence can be used as contact tracing. Yes. Uh, are these all things that require voluntary acknowledgement amongst workers uh, that they have gotten tested, uh, you know, have symptoms, had a close contact? Yes. Um, when you start dropping things like mask requirements, things like testing requirements, things like vaccine, you know, uh, proof, uh, you, you go into a world, which is a lot of what we're going into now of, uh, well, I hope the people around me are being safe. And if I don't trust them to be safe, then, uh, I will have to take measures that make me feel safe. And so a lot of the tension that this story gets at is, uh, those issues, um, you know, like for example, Riot says, uh, you know, uh, the workers told me and then Riot confirmed, um, in, in a series of, uh, statements to, to Waypoint, uh, that, well, look, we've got masks on site and we're recommending, you know, though not mandating, I guess, that uh, if you would feel more comfortable in a meeting with people wearing a mask, you should ask. Um, but that is a situation where you're putting the onus on an employee who feels uncomfortable if people around them are not wearing a mask to then ask those people to go fetch a mask if they don't have one, delay a meeting in order for that to be taken care of. Um, and I, I want to point to a, a quote uh in particular about that um, from a source that was, if I have a one-hour meeting with 10 people and seven aren't wearing masks, it will take an inordinate amount of time for all seven to get masks in return, wasting a lot of meeting time, which everyone will certainly remember is my fault. Um, And so, uh, you know, it is worth noting that Riot, uh, sort of unique uh, to, you know, maybe this is uh, more popular in in tech circles, I don't know, but they uh, historically had something called, what's called a Q-Dodge, which is that when you join Riot, in the first 6 months you can leave the company with a percentage of your salary uh like either percentage or most of a bonus that you would have gotten as part of that year and 3 months of covered cobra coverage cobra is not great insurance but it is it is in theory better than nothing and uh when riot went through a giant restructuring uh last year uh in early 20 20- towards the end of 2021 and early 2022 they essentially uh expanded this Q Dodge um to the entire company, regardless of how long you've been there, in which you could uh you could take a percentage of your salary and enough co- and I believe, uh if I remember correctly from uh what I had heard about this specific expansion, your entire bonus for that coming uh year um uh, alongside the uh the Cobra uh benefits, uh, and go somewhere else potentially if this like pivot back to work uh, to like in office work was not uh, not not lining with how you wanted to sort of like conduct your work life balance and how you, and how you were doing your own risk assessment relative to to COVID. Now the the one the last thing I'll say in regards to that is um, the specifics of the federal and state policies which Riot like many companies are using to inform how they are doing things like this uh, were not clear. When that Q dodge window was offered, and so there is a world in which the someone uh, had hesitation over a return to to the office, but was maybe hoping that the policies that the riot would follow because of the federal and state mandates would be something that they could negotiate. And then when they found out that the federal and state ones feel like they are increasingly a response to economic and political pressures. Rather than strictly health uh, uh, guidelines uh, to keep people safer, um, you know that dodge the Q dodge window had had closed. So that's kind of where the the piece uh, is, and and where Riot sits in in relative to like larger like kind of like employee employer shifts. I guess I guess the one last last thing would be that Activision Blizzard went through a similar thing uh, about uh, a week ago, uh, in which the company d- rolled out very similar. Sort of mandates for a return, not necessarily for. I don't think they were mandating that everyone return to office, but if you were returning to office, they were dropping all of the requirements and things like that. Um, and as a result of a pushback and a virtual walkout, uh, uh, Activision Blizzard deferred to individual studios to enact their own health uh, requirements, including uh, like Blizzard Entertainment specifically, like put in a vaccine requirement if you were going to come back to the office. So uh, I think. I think that's where I think that's uh, that catches up with uh, where we're at in the story.
2: Yeah, it's um, the it's an illustration of just how much, though, those like local state and the state guidelines, local authorities guidelines for how to handle covid end up kind of giving a lot of cover, though, to companies that just kind of want to get back to normal, like. Like that, that's the other thing is co- all these companies are able to say, hey, we are just we are we are acting in line with the local guidance. The local guidance broadly has sucked uh, throughout all of this where like we, you know, we're we're two years. So certainly,
3: this certainly the moment the vaccine showed up and we entered in what everyone was, you know, hoping at a certain point was like, oh, we'll get these vaccines. COVID will go away. The moment that didn't happen. And, you know, things like, you know, Biden's poll numbers start slipping like every like all these local mandates, even in places like where I'm at or like, you know, L.A. or California or like broadly, I think places were a little stricter, especially early on. Like that stuff has just increasingly gone out the window, even in places that felt like they were taking it responsibly um, for the for the first year.
2: Well, I, I think some of that is. Like, like a lot of these policies are seem to be driven by like, like you know, sort of a circular short sightedness uh, as we see like, you know, occupancy requirements lifted, masking requirements uh, lifted. Then you see inevitable surges and then you see them reintroduced like it's this is a cycle we're we're all very familiar with. And so I think like the notion that like any company should be surprised when employees don't find that claim that we're just complying with local ordinances convincing. um, It's pretty understandable. Like the local ordinances don't really have a lot of weight uh, at this point. And especially when you have things like that story you you indicated um, where you have to be the person to be like, hey, everyone, like go get your masks for this meeting. Like that's just not going to happen. That's that's no. putting way too much individual pressure on like people to go be the person who is going to say like <laughs> you know what these are my boundaries I'm going to police them you have to go comply. By the way, um, I think I think at our company actually it's the opposite where like you can't I don't think we're we're able to be asked uh like I don't think anyone can ask someone else to be masked. Well, and uh, so, but also I mean I think the the wording here is pretty slippery in that it I don't. I didn't get the sense
3: from Riot um, that this is a requ- – like, you know, that you would be reprimanded if you didn't comply. You know, I mean, I think the yeah. the hope here is that, again, much like state like and state federal gui- gu- guidance is, is guidance. It's They're not requirements, right? And so it's like – I think the hope is like, hey, Riot is like a – you know, a, they're a very flawed company. But like, you know, you get the sense a lot of their employees are like, you know, would be respectful – of others and it's like you're just hoping people will do the right thing if other people asked but like hoping people will do the right thing if you ask like have you seen the last (laughs) have you met COVID.
0: yeah
3: Yeah. Uh,
1: i also think it's worth noting that like riot seems to be and a lot of companies right now seem to be at the intersection of of two competing cultures where you know even looking at like activision blizzard for example you have you know this was part of like the reporting on activision blizzard was the recognition that like And also uh, Bungie. So Bungie, Activision, Blizzard, and now Riot are all studios uh, and development houses with a very particular reputation for some shitty work culture that is shifting with a new batch of employees. But, like, Riot has said that QDodge, 4% of people left uh, during their QDodge program, which is to say that, like, I'm sure a lot of assholes still stayed. And so like even if you're based on the assumption that, like, oh, people generally respect each other at these particular companies in this particular state that they're in, you only need a couple people who don't. And, you know, when you have a culture that was previously pretty bad, the likelihood of that happening increases very, very quickly. Uh, if you have a bunch of people who are known for not caring uh, about their fellow employees and who stayed after the Q dodge program.
2: I also think like to uh, being just also very realistic about this too, where it's just like just looking at this absolutely like with no judgment whatsoever, like it's just, it's inevitable. It doesn't matter who is in those rooms to an extent. It's yeah. just inevitable that people are going to get like sick in these environments. Right. That's, that's the, uh, that's the other part of this too where like, and this is where the the personal like, We have the problem of there are people who, like, clearly have never given a fuck about, like, taking any precautions with COVID and have, like, been very happy to run whole bunches of risk uh, on behalf of other people. But even if people weren't like that, um, you know, where the personal, personal responsibility frame really falls apart in a thing like COVID is just everybody to an extent is just rolling the dice uh every every time they're in a close space with with other people
3: yeah like the, um, like
2: the the more like there was a period early in covid where i think it felt uh
3: like the moralizing of uh not necessarily of contracting like covid but putting yourself in risk spaces where you could get it and then spread it to others like felt uh more appropriate um and not that there aren't people who can be uh, uh, you know, not necessarily taking into account others or, 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 you know, at the moment, but like you could just get COVID and like it can be no th- yeah. fault. You've taken all the, the mitigation measures, like the way it like travels, like the, the, the speed at which it works, like its transmissiveness, like it, we're just in a fundamentally different era of it. And so, like, the moralizing falls apart to a certain degree, but, um, given all of that what you want in place is that okay well if i am going to go to spaces like an office cuz maybe that is good for my mental health or i do need a, a meeting or what w- my org would work better from there well if we just assume that like covid can happen regardless but like lots of things can happen regardless that doesn't mean you don't put measures in place to try and make it safer for all people involved as they go through those motions and i think i think that's where a lot of the frustration here uh, lies is is a lack of is a lack of that stuff it's like look like Maybe there are people who want to come to the office. Maybe it would be beneficial to, to, for some orgs, but like dropping all this stuff, even people who mean well are just not going to do those things because of social pressures. Like, look what happened at GDC. Look what happens that like th- things are going to happen even by well-meaning people. And the reason you have these kinds of requirements in place is to try and account for for that stuff, especially as social norms and social pressures come into play, like a meeting where nobody's wearing a mask because they were told they didn't have to wear one. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, one or two people have to hold their hands up and make things
2: awkward. No. Well, and and like the other thing is, I just, I think you need to show better cause for why a return to office mandate that that means the other key, right? If you're, it's one thing to be like, Hey, if people want to like work from the office, like they can come and do that. That's where vice is. I I will say this. Like, yeah, for all of our
3: company's problems, the COVID stuff has been, like pretty damn good. <laughs> like uh, in terms of uh, how the company has negotiated or mandated or frankly, not mandated people. Like look, we hired Ren with no like requirement. I mean, Ren happens to be in New York, but Ren could be, could have been in Portland, right? I like, could have, could have been anywhere. Was going to get paid the same because of a union benefit, uh, like negotiated a contract. Um, and it was never a requirement, like not the same case. If you look at, places like Kotaku. Like this is not dragging
1: Kotaku. Yes. Like, this, this was is, literally this. why I moved to New York. Yes. You are saying the reason right, that right. I moved and to like, New York.
3: The people that work there have been very public in saying that is a mandate coming from the executive level that that has to be uh, how their hires are working. And so this is like, yep. <laughs> love. like, you know, think Patricia Hernandez does great work, not her fault, but uh, uh, we, we haven't, we haven't had to have that same issue. And like, I've felt as a result I don't know, like that I felt fairly comfortable with the, the, the our company as we've negotiated this. And it right, doesn't mean they're perfect.
2: But but, um, but the point, though, is that like you have to have a good cause for issuing the mandate in the first right, place. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that it, it is not a, like if you're going to say everyone has to come back, you need a better explanation from that. And like our collaborative culture requires it. I'm going to need some studies on that. <laughs> I'm afraid you're going to have to show me your work yeah. as to what. Is literally in the air. Besides COVID, that's going to make us so much better at our jobs. Uh, and the reason, and the reason I brought up the fact that they're, by the way, you're right, Patrick. They're not in Santa Monica. Uh, they are half a block outside Santa Monica, but effectively, <laughs> they are in some of the most expensive real estate in the Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this this goes to another thing around like the politics of some of these offices is that there are so many companies who leased out expensive office space, especially companies that leased out expensive audio- office space because it was part of like building the brand and creating a, an, an air of like success and uh like prosperity to the company that are now sitting with these like massively expensive like millstones around their neck that you know there's no real sign that we're going to be moving into a post-covid phase where people are not like don't have to worry about sharing office space anytime soon and so to an extent it 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 also has this feeling of well by god we are now wedded to a ridiculously expensive facility uh that maybe isn't even suitable uh for for this new environment we're in, and we are just going to frog march you back into your seats uh to to put you back in that thing we're we're paying for uh and also maybe to get eyes back on you right like that that you know that could also be the other, the other part is there are a lot of managers who love the surveillance uh aspect of being in an office.
1: Yeah, I think that the other thing is that, like, I have worked at places where the I have worked at places where the function of the office was so an executive could walk in and feel like they were doing a real job because they could look at their little people working in their little office and then feel proud of themselves for, quote unquote, managing or running that place. And like a lot of a lot of the recent return to office policies feel like ways to stroke the egos of executives more than anything else to me. Uh, And it is not only corny as hell, but also, like, deeply, deeply um, unsettling and disheartening. It also just seems like – it seems
3: short-sighted from a talent retention standpoint. Like, just thinking of, like, the big picture of, like, where things are going. Like, you – games, tech in general, is more competitive than it's ever been in terms of, like, trying to acquire people because there are just so many options and there's so much money flowing that – Having a company that is going to say, hey, got to be here, got to be in the office, like, okay, we're giving you Monday and Friday, but, like, you're still going to have to live in LA. Like, you're going to have to be out here. Um, and that just that just seems really short-sighted, like, even, like, I know it's, like, tough to just put, like, the health stuff aside, but, like, imagine five years from now, like, these are the sorts of things that people are going to be fighting over. It's like, I want to work at a place, like, lets me live the life I want to live, not live, like – uh, adjust to the culture that this company wants to mandate to me. And I, I feel like what you're seeing with with Riot specifically here and like lots of other companies is like, I don't know if it's the, the death of a certain approach to how you run a company, but it's certainly a tension that like COVID like really like brought into focus of like, oh shit, when we were forced to work from home and do things differently, turns out we could. But now let's just go back to the old thing, even though we
2: like, we proved we could do it. Um, so I wonder how much of this is also... I don't know Riot super well but every interaction I had with the company back under this is like the old managers uh sort of the sort of the founders where like the 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 the, the culture seemed uh y as fuck uh let let's sure. say um but they they would always talk about their amazing culture and like to an extent it sounded a little bit cult like but there were a lot of companies that operated this way where it was the norm I And they still use the term like, Writers, rioters right like yeah. and
3: that is that was something used uh that is not like an it was used in communication with me for this story so it is like that like that is not the employees
2: left. do it do it too yeah yes
3: uh, oh yeah percent. i was talking yeah. to two sources who were like <laughs> i'm upset with the company can't believe are
2: doing this to At, rioters exactly exactly 100 uh, well, but so this is but this is i think maybe part of it as well as you have a, a whole generation of tech and tech adjacent companies that built their identity around this notion of like man we love work we love working with our teams uh you know what's what's better than this get a keg uh,
3: in here some ping pong like yeah. what's better than this
2: rob and like <laughs> You, tutoring, all that stuff gets dragged as being like cynical and a way to mask and, and, and sort of sweeten exploitation uh, as it goes down, which is, um, like, that's true. And also, I think what, what, what's underrated is people look at the, like, people also believe it, right? Like, the, the people yeah. who, like, create these cultures are the people who, like,
0: <laughs> would
2: genuinely, they feel like those are people who would genuinely, like, take pep rallies in high school, like, legit seriously and be like come on guys like support the basketball team uh it's it's kind it's kind of that and so i think the other thing that maybe is harder for these companies to sort of face down is the fact that like hey that culture may not be possible to build at least in a physical like you know co-located uh environment anymore and i'm gonna be like kicking and screaming before they accept that uh, because it is like partly yes it is an effective like way of controlling a workforce but also there's a lot of people who set that culture who genuinely believe and genuinely enjoy the notion that we all come to the campus and we work this incredible job with these incredible people Um, but like the game might be up on that anyway Um, but it's just it's it's going to be a lot of rear guard actions.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, I also got the sense, um, I wonder, if this is like an LA thing in which like Riot is transitioning to becoming kind of an entertainment company. Um, in addition to being just strictly a game developer between the admittedly pretty great arcane show on, on Netflix. Um, and, uh, a lot of their pivots. And if you looked at the way like entertainment as an industry, uh, granted, like to shoot movies and television shows you need people in a space like you, can't, you know you, there's certain things you can't can't quite fake there but i do wonder if some of what's happening with riot is like well everything else around us which is largely the entertainment industry has gotten back to work because they are decidedly old school and the literal way in which they like create their main product of television um, and, and and film like is people in rooms in spaces You know, it makes me wonder if, like, some of that rubs off on a place like Riot, um, given that I have to imagine, like, a lot of their, like, executive class as they make this pivot. And as part of this big strategic shift, like, the company, like, this is part of, I forget how they classify the, where they're at in the phases, but, like, this is, like, a phase two sort of thing. Like, where League of Legends got us to is here, and then, like, part of the reason they did that Q-Dodge was, like... Hey, if you don't if you're not really interested in where we're going in the next five years or whatever, you know, this is maybe the time to get off. And it just wouldn't shock me if like there's a very LA ishness to what's happening here. I mean, it's, you know, it's not only riot, but I I think in this specific version, I do wonder if there's a little bit of that happening.
1: Yeah, I also think that like not to talk about like a broader social organization, I think that we are coming up recently against the problem that like socialness under capitalism for multiple generations of people has been entirely built around work and like 100% built around labor. And so part of the cultural shift that's taking place is like people building relationships outside of the workplace and or trying to build like senses of community outside of the workplace and a subset of people who just have zero experience doing that uh, and are terrified at the prospect of no longer having that default community uh, from from their workspace,
2: yeah, I think that's uh, that that is I think a huge part of it that people are like predominantly their friendships are with coworkers uh you know their most of the adult relationships they have outside family are with members of their extended team uh and that that goes to and partly like how all consuming work is in some yeah. ways, but I think that like Honestly, I think another huge culprit, though, was just the way we organize our communities, right? Right. Public
1: space doesn't exist to actually build those relationships. Like, you don't have the amount of public space and, like, public ventures to actually get people in rooms with one another consistently enough to, like, build actual relationships.
2: Right. Like, in a lot of the, like, again, I think, I don't know if it's, I don't know if its conclusions are as current, but, like, this was sort of highlighted uh, in a book called Bowling Alone, um but it was it was sort of noting it it was uh a, a book sort of noting the fact that like third places and like group activities outside work were becoming really, really scarce in American life. And it was sort of analyzing it through the lens of you know the stereotype, the sitcom stereotype of right, right like uh, you know, parents going off to bowling night. Uh, With with their friends being part of a bowling team, this used to be a fairly common thing, Uh, and then increasingly that like membership in those like dies off. But that happens kind of across the board, uh, where there just aren't as many like you know third places that aren't home or work where people are hanging out and building community. Uh, There aren't as many like you know civic routines uh, that that people have to to sort of build community outside work uh, and largely now a, a lot of people live a life where, well now, now you're entirely at home for, for, for a lot of folks, but a lot of people do sort of live a life where you sort of bounce between work, home, maybe the occasional pit stop at a grocery store or, or a gas station. And that's it. Um, And that's, and yeah, I, I think that contributes to a lot of this like weird nostalgia uh, for for office spaces, um, it's
0: well, especially in the, in the
2: in
3: the like the uh how widespread crunch. You know, I don't know how like crunch applies to riot specifically, but like you can imagine there is like a certain toxic camaraderie, family building that happens out of like, well, our lives just exist at work, and so how do I, you know,
0: yeah.
3: absent that having the tools to build that you know it's not the same over zoom and discord you know like you can do a lot but like i can see why people like if their entire framework if they're in their 30s 40s 50s is built along like well this is how i've created relationships this is my relationship with a place that i go um that's where i do like a lot of my like community and connection building like when you when you lose that uh you know i I think it's not shocking that that it makes it difficult for people to like to
2: reorient their lives you know decades into this is how i've done it yeah um i like is the, the thing that's frustrating is i do feel like th- there's such an easy fix here which is just don't make it mandatory like you can it's still like, you can still mm-hmm. call mandatory in-person meetings and work events like where people really need to be in for like actual like facetime uh, there are always like some critical staff whose infrastructure really isn't easily movable to a home setup or like product, right? Like advice, like, yeah. like that was like production
3: people doing like various like television shows, like, <laughs> right. like, you know, like, and there were there were
2: <laughs> news stations that did like set people up with like home control rooms, but like it's just it's not the same as as, as a control, yeah.
1: As our producer, I can say it's not that like the tech that we have in the office is just yep. going to be like with the tech that we have in the office is like $12,000 or whatever the fuck. And like that shit is extremely, extremely useful for Kato and I. But like I can't, I'm not going to go into the office every day for it. But like there are yeah. definitely situations where we absolutely fucking need it. And like where I'm just sitting here being like, God, fucking damn it. I wish I had my fucking Yamaha. And, right and
3: also now. like <laughs> even speaking for like our own culture, like, look, I think we do a lot of good shit you know, making it work over like Twitch and Vmix and all the other tools we use. But like, man, is that cool shit to like be on a couch with everybody and like go get dinner. Like yeah. I, I'm a huge advocate for like remote models and people should be able to work from home. But like, fuck, I love hanging out with my friends and my colleagues. And like, like that's cool as hell. And like, I like the dynamic that we've been able to get. We're like, we can come in and like do that in the space that, like makes us feel good and safe um, and also make it work as a business like remote. And like that's a really we're absolutely incredibly lucky to be able to to do all that. And I think, you know, part of like the irritation that stories like this is like I just wish more people could find it's possible for other models to, to work. And like COVID forced people's hands into like figuring it out. A lot of video games and things like that got delayed, but they shipped. And like people found ways to continue being creative and the notion that you can't Continue being creative if you're in, not in the same room with one another. Like, I think it's just a, a deeply flawed premise um, and, and doesn't really creatively reimagine our own relationships with our colleagues
2: and, and work. I have a segue. It was yeah. beautiful. Ooh. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you Please. for that beautiful segue. You know what else might be getting creatively reimagined? in this best of all possible universe. Oh, wow, wow. Oh, I didn't
1: know where you were going. Oh, fuck I
2: love man. it. I still Max don't Payne's know where he's back, going. back, baby. <laughs> <The> fu-
1: <laughs> That's where you were going? Yes. It's a remake. Rethinking. How are we going wait, wait, to convey- Where did you think I was going? I, uh, Rob, I had no fucking clue. I had literally <laughs> zero fucking idea where we were walking with each other. Oh, I, I, was ex- <laughs> I was beside you on that path. No fucking clue, Patrick. No. I mean,
3: look, Rob. I mean, much like Ren did, Ren was I thought she was on the path, maybe wasn't. But I want to be on this path full of blood while a baby screams at me, and I want to find how Remedy is going to reimagining this dark room of blood trails that I fall off every five seconds while a baby screams at me when they remake Max Payne One and Two. Uh, which, yeah, was was announced uh, uh, this week. They uh, Remedy, I guess, approached Rockstar about doing a collaboration because uh, Remedy uh developed uh, Max Payne one and two, but uh, uh Take Two slash Rockstar owns the rights, which is why they made Max Payne three um, without uh, Remedy um, and then uh, yeah, they're doing a collaboration where they're gonna. Remake both those. I mean, it's kind of hard. We don't know what the scope of this is, but it's a single package. It's not not two games, one one game in which both games are coming into that. Uh, There was like a really funny line in there from the Remedy press release, which you don't normally see in like press releases about a game. But it was like, and this will have a budget commensurate with a triple A Remedy product, which is like, "Okay, I don't know what that means exactly. But I guess I guess it means you should expect something more than, you know, just. High res textures, but but probably not something as big as a Max Payne three. Um, nonetheless, I remain, uh, Rob, like you, very fascinated with what I, I, I'm so curious to see the creative directions they choose or not choose to make with with these remakes.
1: Well, they're they're gonna tie it into their to their they're gonna fully commit to tying it into their remedy verse. Like they have like at this, well, there po- are already uh, references to right, Max Payne in control. They right? and well, I feel like on. they have to or they're likely to more fully cement those.
2: So what's in the Alan Wake verse is that he's the author of a very similar Max Payne-esque detective series where they're more direct, like I believe in control. There were that I like, so I'll look this that up. Max Payne is real in the world of control. And so well, the Alex think, Casey mysteries are, are a different thing.
1: Well, also like not to spoil, um, not to spoil fucking uh, control and Alan Wake, but like the line between fiction and reality and those in that setting is so fully fucking blurred That's that true. like it's it is hard to make that distinction because like, so is bad. Alan Wake real? <laughs> <laughs> um, or was he originally? No one's quite sure. Like that is that is the mode that that that, that fiction is moving into in such like an obvious way that I like, I I don't even know if the distinction is like worth making.
2: Yeah. And certainly the control, the control wiki does
3: say, (laughs) okay. The Remedy Extended Universe is this like an is that actually an official? I think yeah, it is now. I, like believe, I believe that is the it. term. No, I know, but it's like like Marvel calls it the MCU, right? Like DC calls it the DCE. I'm just wondering, have they given it a, a branding? I know fans have done it. Anyway, so <laughs> I believe it says, they have
1: said Remedy Extended Universe on a on a thing before. Okay,
3: so th- this line here from the the
1: the the the
3: the wiki uh, the Re- the Remedy Extended Universe is known to include Alan Wake, Quantum Break, and Control. The official status of Remedy Entertainment's other games, Death Rally and Max Payne within this universe is not yet known. I think at this po- at this moment, they are Easter eggs and nods, but not necessarily explicit tie-ins in the way that, yeah. you know, Alan Wake got a very specific expansion to control. I think Max Payne um, – I don't know if the rights issues make that complicated or not, uh, but uh, – uh, I- I'm fully in support of it. Like please, like <laughs> please tie them together because it
2: seems seems so fucking goofy.
1: That's that's where I'm curious is the right stuff, which makes me feel like they had not been able to do it before. And now having access to games one and two and being able to quote unquote remake them in their own universe and with their own like budget is feels like a an an in to doing that kind of work. Um, because even like the Max Paint, not the Max Paint, even the Alan Wake remaster had additional content. Uh, right. added that, that ties it more fully into. But they own um,
3: Alan Wake and they own Control.
1: Right, yes. Um, yes, yes, yes.
3: And they don't own Max Payne. So I, I guess some of this will have to be like, how much is Remedy, or uh, Rockstar willing to play ball with their bullshit. I have to imagine, the fact that Remedy approached them and Rockstar was just like, ah, okay, I guess if you guys <laughs> want to remake this, we've got too much money anyway. Uh, one would hope that like this is part of Remedy's grander, grander plan for uh, you know, Alan Wake two and uh, some Absolutely. of the stuff I've heard about their plans for control God. are fucking it's, cool too.
2: It's weird because the thing. So I am firmly in the camp that for what they are, Max Payne one and two are effectively perfect games. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. they're also very simple and pure games. That's a reasonable. That's hmm. a reasonable claim.
3: Like which which mate which which is that this is exactly why I'm so curious about. The creative direction, because the move is probably just to do let's clean them up, make them look nicer, run on modern. They like do all of that stuff, but the moment they say, "Well, we're going to give this a budget commensurate with a triple A remedy production," it's like, "Okay, are we a reimagining things?" Mm-hmm. Because then, once you start going down that path, am I comparing this to Max Payne three? You know what I mean? Like, it gets it gets weird pretty fast, Rob. Like, I think people aren't remembering those games as clearly as they should. They're still good games. I'm not disputing that whatsoever. But no, I mean, actually, but you just, they you are just like
2: piloted a little character who ran around, with you know, gun guns, akimbo. Uh, yes. and it had a good gimmick and
3: like a stylish aesthetic yeah. and like a really campy, fun story with great VO and a, a fourth wall breaking references.
1: See that doesn't. I think feel... when we start
3: talking about Max Payne beyond that, we start getting into some dicey territory.
1: I I feel like that that is what they still do, though. Like that is what Remedy yeah. still like that is what control is to me. Control sure. is not like firing on all cylinders as like a mechanical, like a deeply interconnected and like they didn't make an immersive sim. They made a a third person shooter. That feels very, very good with a very specific set of powers granted to the player and a handful of like specific mechanics. Same with Alan Wake. Alan Wake is as standard as you can get a shooter without the exception of with the exception of the flashlight mechanic.
2: But there is so much like. In like in mission storytelling and there's so many narrative hooks built into those games that by comparison to what they're doing in Max Payne, it's like really night. And day like I think I think you're right like the through line is absolutely there but like Max Payne is such a trace outline of where they eventually end up going but but also like you know related to that is it might still be the best shooter of any of those games the best the best action game uh, of any of that group because it is hmm. just so focused on uh run a room you know dodge dive out of the way trigger bullet time watch all hell break loose uh the the games are so purely focused on that that i am i am kind of curious like i think you know a a modern remastering like i don't know higher resolutions greater textures i think the point the diminishing returns on that are actually they kick in earlier than you think yeah um but i'm also but if you mess with it too much like at that point you are in the okay we're not really like remastering Alan Wake we are like reimagining and remaking uh we, not Alan Wake but uh Max yeah. Payne we, we are like genuinely reimagining and uh like readapting uh what Max Payne is which would still be an exciting project like I'd be here for it um but I I am so curious what this turns out to be uh be, mm-hmm. because like Alan Wake one and two, uh, not, I'll keep doing that. Uh, Max, Max Payne, one and two are really tremendous, uh, you know, shooters for for their moment, really built around a, a great mechanical hook. Um, everything Remedy has done since then points in a different direction. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm I wonder what they make of Max Payne, uh, here in 2022. Well, especially because you have to, like, I think they've, they have used like the,
3: did you use the term "open world" with Alan Wake too? I guess it was more survival horror. I guess it was really the term it. was
1: survival horror was being used.
3: Um, you know, because like the arc of Remedy as a company is also fascinating and tied to the post like Max Payne era, in which like Alan Wake essentially almost sunk the fucking company because they tried to build a game way too big and ambitious for what they're able to pull off. And then, you know, Alan Wake is not Max Payne, but relative to what Alan Wake was uh, envisioned to be this giant sprawling open world Alan Wake really is just like like a bigger broader Max Payne um at, at the end of the day um uh, with different mechanics um and the same sort of like stylistic and and storytelling uh, approaches uh and so I'm I'm with you Rob I I I'm it's almost like what do you think of yourself you know 20 plus years later of the work you made um and then revisiting that yeah, I get the sense that they are doing a reimagining and and maybe it's not on the, the 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 scale of a Max Payne three because the, those games don't re- require it. But I don't know that you go back to this in the way that they announced it unless you're going to do something more ambitious than uh, we worked with the fans to create a better high res texture pack for, <laughs> yeah. for the games. Um, but the moment you start pulling on that again, and that's and that's where I imagine like that's why I think to like the weakest points of these games, which really are like. Like fumbling in the dark, like following invisible platforms laid with blood while a baby screams at you. Like those are the moments I think of. And it's like, sure, I'd love to see how you reimagine that. Um, You know, but then once you start pulling on that thread, it just invites a lot of questions that I'm excited to see them answer. But um,
2: I I don't know what their answers even are for it. Mm -hmm. You know, it reminds me of another uh there's, there's a parallel here, of course, which is Uh-oh. that uh, okay, here um, we
1: go. I knew this. I Michael thought this Van was the one.
2: made a movie called LA Takedown uh in 1989, no, which not a lot of people doing. have seen. Um I've never seen it, in fact. Uh We're but wrong about two segues. In every in every respect, LA Takedown. LA Takedown is just like, <laughs> hey, LA no, Takedown. No, 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 no. Take down. You LA Takedown. Don't have take that down. out, Gato. <laughs> no, that's it <CNN. laughs> uh but it's just heat the the crime epic that everybody does know and mm-hmm. is regarded as like mm-hmm. sort of the centerpiece of of man's career uh and that's our project for man hunting for this month a similar sort of reimagining and remaking of a work that's clearly like meant a lot to the artist uh but the first the, the first iteration maybe wasn't quite the example uh, they had in mind of what they could achieve with the full power of their craft. I really uh, so. I thought <laughs> <laughs> you, you were doing Halo
0: Wars.
1: I I didn't know how you were doing that segue, but I was like, "This is this is surely the Halo Wars
2: segue." And then you said Michael Mann, and I was like, "What? the, Where
0: are we?" <laughs>
2: uh, I'm just letting people know they got to track down L.A. Takedown, or L.A. Takedown, uh, <laughs> because we are going to be discussing that. In parallel uh, with Heat to, to Sorry, examine parallel on, on Waypoint Plus in, in parallel uh, to, to examine how how man sort of takes an earlier work and just completely revamps it uh, to make an, an all time classic. Uh, so that'll be happening on Waypoint Plus uh, later this later this month. Uh, I just thought I'd mention it because, you know, it is a parallel. It's kind of <laughs> what is Michael Mann, you know? if not the remedy of Hollywood auteurs? Oh,
1: wow.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, that might have been. I don't know who I'm what dragging the f- there. I don't know what happened.
1: <laughs> hey, what the fuck did that even mean? Rob that was trying was- to have,
2: like,
3: a grand thesis to tie, like, everything we've done together, and I appreciate the boldness, frankly.
1: Michael Mann is the, throwing darts at a board, Riot Games <laughs> of return-to-work policies. <laughs>
2: uh on that note, michael Mann think- needs
1: to return to work and actually
3: make heat too instead of being a coward and making it a novel
1: i mean wow well, think- these return to work policies sure are generating a lot of heat come on we got this <laughs> folks well, we'll as, a te- as a team Shit. as a team as a publication we can do this work together i believe in us the remedy for a lack of heat is heat too <laughs> okay 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 and if we don't get it people are going to ride <laughs> there we go we got it folks well woo,
0: we did it with that good break.
2: behind God. us we can take a break cool down. What the fuck is happening uh, here? let the let this brain is it a brainstorm is it a brain cyclone i don't know but we need to let it dissipate and clear the area uh before we can before we can discuss games uh in our next segment so we'll be back after a break Another great epic, uh, although I guess is epic. Epic's kind of a, a, a weird word, right? Because like epic doesn't necessarily mean like huge sprawling, it can also just mean like just the scope of the storytelling. Uh, is is Norco is Norco a point and click epic? I would uh, describe Norco as an epic. You would? Yes. He like I think strong. it carries.
1: I, it carries that narrative weight to me. Yeah. Like, when I hear the word epic, I think of a very particular amount of narrative weight. And Norco, without a doubt, has that. Um, yeah, it is not, also... Well,
3: I, I haven't... I, I'm, like, halfway through the game, I think. But uh, it, I think often epic is associated
2: with uh, the world is ending. Like, it doesn't have, like, those sorts... Well, I don't know. Maybe or it has just, just like, of- has big, like bombastic like cataclysmic themes of like a lot of times people think epic it's like massive war story or something like that but like yeah a or lot like of- the way comic comic book movie like storytelling has overtaken like I, I would describe
3: right. like <laughs> as Norco is as having very like bombastic enthralling storytelling just not in the world like the version that like a moon might crash on <laughs> the planet yeah. Uh it- oh, unless they defeat an alien but if who knows was- honestly the story could go anywhere at the point that I'm at that if you told me the end of Norco involved a moon crashing on the planet and an alien was involved i would also believe you
1: i think that like also epic in the sense it is an epic insofar as like if i'm remembering correctly like traditional epics usually very funny like if you like go to like the history of the epic it is like an oral storytelling tradition right and so like norco feels very much emerging from an oral tradition like the way that characters speak the way that the story is told to you the way that perspective shifts over time and also the way that it is like really fucking funny feels if if we're if we're making the epic comparison i feel that norco is extremely epic
3: i had the so i saw so, so norco um which I, I know ren you talked about on a podcast previously for uh you know is a point and click adventure game um like Austin and I did a stream of it like a ish ago. And now the full game is out. Well before I thought that game would be done. When I played that demo with Austin, I was like, "Cool, see this game in four years." When I write an article that goes, "What happened to Norco?" They're still working on it. Um, and instead, it's just out. And I, when I saw that game originally, like watched the trailers for it, uh, I was like, "Oh, who's in for like a real bummer of a time?" Like the Norco is. Um, and. I I like my bummers Um, and believe me, there's a lot of (laughs) bummer things happening in Norco around Norco to Norco. (laughs) But I was not prepared for not just how funny Norco is, but like zany. I think zany Mm -hmm. is an appropriate word Mm -hmm. at times for things that occur that feel like they would be in a monkey island game um yeah. they are hyperbolic like it's like they are cartoonish Maybe. and it and it breaks the facade of a game that otherwise is not self-serious but certainly presents itself serious like hey like this beautiful uh, uh, like uh uh dark uh this atmosphere uh that is around you this this world that you're in like the people here are treated like shit feel like shit a lot of them are dying, but also there's, like, this cat, and if you pet it enough times... I don't even want to spoil what happens to it, but... <laughs> yeah,
1: it's I, I, I don't want to pet the, it too much. the bit
3: much. is so good, but, uh, like, I don't
1: want to pet it too much. I'm worried. I want, I don't want, the, I want the cat to be did okay. Did you do it? Did you do it? I pet the cat about five times, did and you, I've been did asked you? to stop. Well... <laughs> Someone asked me to stop petting my cat and I want to like give that. She seemed real serious when she was like, if you don't fucking stop petting the cat, I will beat the brakes off your ass. At which point I am like, I I need to be clear that I did not stop petting the cat.
0: Um,
3: And so when I say again, I don't want to spoil what happens. I will just say, you know, maybe make two saves and pet the cat. Um, And beyond the point uh, that the game is the character is like, please, please stop petting my fucking
4: cat. It is it is
2: vibrating. Kato, do you have an answer about the cat?
4: No, no. Okay. I was gonna connect back to the thing Ren was saying about uh the the kind of humor in it, uh and relating that to epics actually uh kind of sideways reminded me of the movie Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which, yes! is, which yes! is based off of uh you know, the Odyssey right yes no yes that is exactly
1: the tone that this game (laughs) has like 100 percent it's it's a coen brothers movie yes yes
4: it's just it's specifically that uh like that coen brothers movie where there's like a a a long epic story being told but it's also funny as hell at every turn right like everything if there's humor in every like kind of tense situation even you know um Damn, i got to rewatch Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Yeah, I know we just watched it, like, very recently.
1: (laughs) I, like, have forgotten that movie, but the soundtrack, like, lives
3: forever in my brain. Yeah. Like, the songs in that movie, like, the plot details are
4: (laughs) I mean, it's the Odyssey. Uh, Do you remember the Odyssey? You remember Oh Brother Where Art Thou? (laughs) 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 Mostly, more or less, you know, there's obviously some big changes. But, like, it it has that same kind of shift in tone, too, where it's, like, one second you're talking about something kind of serious, and you see, like, that the world that people live in is you know unfair and cruel but the individual characters get into situations that are kind of like hilarious at the same time right like there's these shifts (sighs) that flip back and forth between a world being very kind of serious and dangerous for people and then there being absurdity happening to these characters there's
3: something that's there's not a spoiler but is like illustrative of that and as part of like the game's like all, not all over the place, but like it, a very all-encompassing uh, tone in a way that yet feels like uh, like it, it feels normal. Like it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like it's it's like switching wildly in a way that feels inappropriate. Like at a certain point you go to a bar <clears throat> to talk to this detective LeBlanc, I think is, is the character's name the um, and they've got a, you know, he's, he's got a big old belly and it's like, okay, that's fine. Just part of the, you know, character's body type. <laughs> and then like the belly just like shifts like in a very comical way like as their stomach grumbles cuz they're hungry. There's another moment in a conversation with them where it is written out. This game has no voice acting. But yeah. there's a moment with the character hiccups and you get a sound effect as that text is playing out and it's like hiccup.
0: And it's like <laughs> what are
1: you doing yeah.
3: video game? And I yeah. I have to like I am I this moment occurred to me while I'm laying in the bathroom of my house as my five-year-old daughter pukes from a stomach bug for the 15th time. And I'm like trying to muffle laughter to myself because this LeBlanc piece of shit who I've bought two beers and some fries has just hiccuped in a game with no voice acting. And I am just dying at how like the comedic timing of that is, is beautiful and pierces a lot of like the coolness of that world in a way that I found I don't know, like, it's easy to imagine this game without that stuff and the story's still working, but it's, it's, um, it's moments like that, like this kind of levity that both gives a more depth to the characters that I don't know, I found like really touching and wonderful in a way that I was just not expecting at all from the way the game presents itself up
1: front. So I think it's also worth noting that like this game was deeply emergent from the tradition of Southern Gothic literature. Uh, as, like, this is as southern gothic as you can make a video game be. And I like to pull on my, like, relationship with Faulkner for a second. This game is a very Faulknerian tone in a lot of places. Where, like, this is the kind of stupid fucking, like, insane bold. Like, when you're talking about, like, the rules of the world breaking or people saying insane shit. That is a deeply Faulkner thing. Is that, like, part of the reality of, like the South and like the history the grand history and grand narratives of the South is that like when actually looked at, it's mostly just a bunch of really funny bullshit that is (laughs) bullshit. And there is comedy from how bullshit it is. Um, And so like, I think about lines um, from, Oh God, what is it? Um, My mother is a fish. My mother is a fish is a line from, it's like a really funny and like cruel bit. Um, uh, and as I lay dying, um, it is really, really like unsettling and weird and messy. And all of the characters in that book are weird and unsettling and messy in a way that is like deeply, deeply felt in Norco. Um, in a way that is both like very self serious, but also deeply, deeply fucking funny uh, and interested yeah, yeah. in being funny. Yes,
3: yes, and I and I really just cannot. This game feels like it, it it like reflects the evolution of like style and introspection that we have seen in so many like independent works in like the last fifteen years. And yet, if you told me this was like an abandoned Lucas Arts project that they just couldn't get through because it was too dark and weird, and like why isn't there a talking skull? Although this game would have a talking skull and I'd, again, I'd, I'd fucking believe you because the tone of the world encompasses and, and the setting of the world encompasses that genuinely anything could happen and you'd believe it. Like it, I was just I was not ready for the the music, the uh, like everything about it feels like it's an adventure game from the 90s mm-hmm. that I just didn't play. Like, oh, you know, there's lots of games from Lucas that I didn't get around to like this one just feels adjacent from that in a way that is really really fucking cool and, and unexpected um the music is great like like oh, it's the so good it's so know. blippy and bloopy in in a way that like, again feels pulled right from that era um but not in a way that is calling attention to itself where frequently my exhaustion with nostalgic uh aesthetics in in, in music and you know in pixels and uh in chiptune music um to be reductive is like it calls attention to itself because it wants you to go like eh Eh? Like I and get, I get none of that from Norco. None of but, it. Right. But
1: also, like, there is an accompanying sludge metal album. Like, that's the thing, is that like the movie, the like the, the music is very blue blue and like in, in that mode of nostalgia. But also, this game came out with a sludge metal album accompanying it from a Southern Louisiana like metal artist. And like that is the the duality of its tone that it is hitting with such precision and efficacy that I am like continually astonished.
3: Uh, and it even like again where I, where I mentioned that it feels like a game, adjacent, like you know, lost from the '90s Lucasarts. It also can't be because uh, so much of what's happening in its UI is reactive to things that people find deeply fucking irritating about adventure games from that area. Um, for example, what is it called? The mind map. Um, <laughs> which is that as you have conversations with people, fucking um, the mind there's map. this mind map that you can access, which has uh the different characters in the world and um it's essentially like an in-game wiki but one in which you have conversations with yourself to fill in that wiki and like to give an example like there are you'll hear a reference to a character and it'll say add it to your mind map and so you go into the mind map but what you see in the mind map is like It's often to one side, so it's clearly associated with, like, these sets of characters. There are lines uh, that could sprout out of it, but it's blurry because you don't actually know what's going on here. And then when you click on it, you can start to make mental associations. And it's just – it has a way – and you can also go back to that stuff, re-reference it, re-talk through it. There is just this way that the game encompasses all the really cool things about adventure games and yet has UI solutions for things that I also find, like – I like adventure games in concept and then all, then usually found myself playing them with a walkthrough because I just get irritated with sort of like the puzzle centric nature or other mm. sort of UI hangups I have about games from that era. And I have so far not had any – like this game has an answer for all of that. And you don't have to engage with all of it, right? Like there are, there are in-game hint systems that are narratively fulfilling that you just don't have to fuck with if you don't want to. You can just sort of go about the game's pretty basic puzzles. But if you're like me and like I want to raise my hand, I'd like some help. Or like a refresher, the game's got both of those, and it's just—it's just so smart in um, in a way that I find myself continually impressed by the deeper I get into it.
4: I—I I have the smallest, smallest thing, and maybe I missed this, and you can answer whether or not maybe this is just a thing I didn't see. Is there a button you can hit that shows you the interactables on a screen? Or anything no, like that, and I wish they did. No, I wish they, I the 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 thing that that is the one tiny UI thing that I yeah, feel like it. Could I'm with have, you, right? Because I I got a robot with me. Can't you just say the robot is scanning the air? or something? I don't know. It, it's like the smallest thing too. It just like gives me some anxiety to be like, did I did I see everything in this screen? Uh, before I like move on, or I don't know whether or not I'm coming back. It's like, is that yeah. did I miss something yeah. in that corner, or is that
1: not an interactable? Like you know. But the it's, case, like, the mouse the mouseovers just don't work. That's the other right. thing. Is, like sometimes you will mouse over an object and you won't see the thing until a second later where you actually click on it. And you're like, oh, that was a thing. The game was just like taking a sack to load the the thing that says you can touch this. Does
4: right. right.
2: it always have like a hover like yes. prompt? Oh, okay, so there's always a little bit of a like delay. Yeah, just
4: a touch, mm. and it's just like a, just the smallest time. thing. This is the only like knock I have it right now. I'm still pretty early too. So, but um, it. It's one of those things that modern, like thinking back to like Disco Elysium, right? You hold a button down, you can see everything that's interactable on the screen uh, so that you can make sure to hit everything you want to. Um, aside speaking... from that, though, I think I do think the, the UI is, is like really
1: clear otherwise. Um, speaking of Disco Elysium, uh, a pitch that I heard on this game from I forget who, um, but uh, I, I'll Google it uh, and then shout that person out um is that disco elysium's best stat and my favorite part of disco elysium is shivers Mm. shivers is your ability to connect with the world norco is a game made of shivers
3: yeah that's what i was gonna say i was like (laughs) like that yes 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 like
1: norco is a game that like it's writing mode and also like here's the thing shivers is also one of the funniest stats in disco elysium it's just, like, not super loud about how funny it is. But, like, it is, like, doing extremely funny shit with, like, t- showing you situations that are, like, inherently comedic but played very straight. Or situations that are, should be played very straight played for high comedy. Yeah. Um, and Norco is doing that excellently. Um, and, like, with astonishing consistency. Um, I think I, I don't know if I talked about this on a stream or a pod. Have I talked about the, the flood moment? The, the fourth flood? Which is what sold me on this video game being like an all time great uh, yeah. of like video game narrative. It's a very, it's okay.
4: a, it's a very good moment. You should. I, I think, I, it's don't worse, think he, like, I don't think he talked about it on a thing. Yeah, but that's where I was. I was agreeing
1: that it's a good moment. Yeah. You want me to unpack it and like yeah, break down? Okay. So basically, there's a moment early on in Norco where you walk outside of your house and you can look at your house, and when you look at your house, your character's voice shifts back into memory as they go over. Um, three floods that happened while they were growing up in this place. The first of which was when they were a child, um, too young to really remember with any clarity. They just remember the feeling of their feet on wet carpet, people pulling up uh, floorboards, uh, and then staying in an RV for a few days. Um, The second flood uh, is slipping my mind, but it comes in their like young teeny, like they're like very like prepubescent and like almost teens. And the last one happened right before they left. And you go through all three floods, and it's like, cool, great, this is really beautiful writing, I feel more connected to this character, and once you go through all three, a fourth option appears, and the fourth flood moves the camera uh, of the game and of the narrative out from this specific moment in this specific place, and goes to when a hurricane will hit Norco, Louisiana— a few years from now, and it will be a slow hurricane and the levees will break and it becomes a snapshot of what this place will look like in 15 years after the collapse of its infrastructure has hit the point where it falls into just like a contested territory of pirates and mercenaries after the whole area has been flooded. And it is gorgeous and beautiful and it ends with a line that is like the house that you are currently standing in front of will one day be be looted and razed. And it is just, like, gorgeous and brutal. And, like, I can't stop thinking about it. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, cool, this game is operating at a level of rating that basically nothing out right now is, is, is operating at. Yeah, and it's just, it's it's heard- just a, it's, it's, i it, it. oh, go ahead,
3: Kata.
4: Well, I've, I've, one thing that's interesting is I've heard people um, uh, compare it to Disco Elysium. And I feel like there are some tonal, um, uh, similarities but i think the like mode of its writings actually kind of it feels very different to me there's uh just as much i think like um well-written prose in this but i think it takes a slightly more straightforward i think uh narrative style even in these moments where it like jumps to a future like there's still poetics in this but like literally it feels more a little more grounded i think than disco elysium did and i really mm-hmm. enjoy that about it like it feels like mm-hmm. it's a the 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 viewpoint is from a local a person here who like you know has roots in this place that is a place full of like poor people and like disco elysium like also i mean in a different way feels like your character entering that space is an outsider um and i feel like I really enjoy the way that Norco is is written in um not to say that Disco Elysium was ever off-putting, but if you if some if people were off put by Disco Elysium mm-hmm. or like maybe I won't like the way that Norco is written, I would still give it a shot because I think they're actually written differently. They just have
1: tonal and structural
4: similarities yes. that people are picking up on.
1: I would I would describe um so like From a literary terms perspective, um, Norco is, is written in free and direct discourse, um, which is like a a mode of literary narrative where, um, the perspective is technically third person limited, but that limited perspective is constantly shifting Mm. and is shifting in ways that are not obviously stated to the audience, um, it isn't like, oh, cool, we're now moving to this character's perspective. That character's perspective starts to bleed into the narrative voice itself. And you can feel when it's happening, even if you can't, like, point to the exact moment where right. a character is taking control of the narrative, but you can you can gesture at it. And, like, that free and direct discourse is, is both games are doing it to some degree, but Disco Elysium is so locked into Harry's perspectives, right. plural, yeah. that, like, the free and direct discourse happens between different wacky versions of Harry, and not between different characters all inhabiting this same space. Yeah, Um, and I think that like or even Norco- beyond
4: beyond characters themselves, right? That, that moment in Norco feels like you're not even seeing a character perspective; you're seeing a perspective of like the place and its yes. future.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, yeah, that is the moment where it's like built on shivers. Yeah, um, yeah. was was my, and I just ugh, I love it. I. I truly, I, I, I said it on a couple of podcasts ago, and everyone was like, "Haha, Ren, you can't make this call now." This is a banner year for video game <laughs> narratives. I stand by what I said. I'm fucking vindicated. I am vindicated. Video games uh, are real good right now.
2: Uh, I, um, oh, go ahead, Rob. Well, I was just gonna, I was gonna like tie this off by referencing that we're having the uh, like spoiler cast on Monday, so.
3: Yeah, well, okay. One last point is just like to build on the the Disco Elysium thing is that <clears throat> I love Disco Elysium. The game is also like very clear. Like we fucking love our writing. Like right. we're here. Like <laughs> don't you love writing? Because we love writing. And I, I'm not using that to drag it. I I love the game's writing. And like Nurko, I don't know. I despite the fact that it, uh, I feel like its writing is also spectacular. It doesn't. And even though most of what you're doing in this game is reading. Um, I don't know, like in the same way that like Kato was saying like, ah, like if, you know, if for some reason the disco like comparison puts you off, like, I think some of that comparison can come from just like, they both have really spectacular, stylish writing that like, like leaps off the page. But I don't know, there's something about Norco's either as his presentation, how it's written. Um, I don't know. It feels like the, the, the writing is like more of a character of the experience I'm having as opposed to. Disco in which, like, the writing is, <clears throat> is the thing. <laughs> um, um, right. Um, and, it, like, it, the game, the rest of the game can't exist without it um, in a way that, I don't know, there's a different balance to everything that's happening in, in Norco that I mm-hmm. was uh, d- different and
2: good um, in, in a different way. Yeah. Uh so there's a lot we have to talk around in this discussion of Norco because uh, it is it is a narrative game. But uh, if people want to have the full discussion of the game and and, and what happens in it, uh, Ren, Kato and Cameron Kunzelman are going to be having a conversation about it on the Waypoint Plus feed um, going into full spoilers uh, for the game uh, next week. Uh, so Cam wrote a great essay on the piece uh, and we'll be able to get into all the like side characters and anecdotes and plot threads, uh, that that sort of make this such a great game. So stick like stay tuned and and uh, keep an eye on that Waypoint Plus feed, uh, for that for that conversation. So to quickly tie off a thread, uh, we've talked about in a couple episodes now. Patrick and I, I think we both sort of hit a stopping point with our Weird West streams, mm-hmm. um, and also sort of came, like. I'm glad we had that stream, Patrick, because I think you also saw kind of why I'm like fundamentally kind of lukewarm on this, Uh, because it even playing a different character with ostensibly like a different skill set still feels like a really similar game. Right. In terms of like kind of lackluster stealth, kind of lackluster action and a whole lot of both, Um, you know, to, to sort of leaven the game out. And I don't know I wonder, like, I wonder if that game how that game would feel
3: different if it had like actual co-op instead of just mm, people who yes. are with you I I really have Rob, if I was controlling you know, I was in your game, I don't know how they would handle it right like like toss aside all the sorts of problems that introduces for design and narrative. but uh I I feel like part of what co-op can do in a lot of games that have repetitive elements is like, just the sheer fact that you're playing with another person can sort of like soften a lot of that. And I think this game, a lot of what we had fun with was, it was essentially we were doing co-op. I was just watching you and like suggesting things to you. But I, boy, I can't help but imagine like, you know, what if Rob, like when you were trying to do that stealth section, like what if Rob was down there at the bottom and like. Fucking dipshit Patrick. He invested all of his points into jump. And this motherfucker <laughs> can jump to the top of this roof. And he's just firing off bullets and distracting people while Rob like sneaks in and gets the letter. And again, that like there's so many reasons that wouldn't necessarily work with the game they've built, but like I've had so much fun doing the play with you. Um and then watch, you know, the way you discussed how it was when you went back to it solo. You know, it's hard not to imagine a different version of that game where some of that stuff could have been interesting if, like, multiple players were, were involved.
2: Yeah. I'm also just not sure that... I'm not sure that West is weird enough. <laughs> like, I played were you playing as a pig man? You'd think that'd be weirder, wouldn't you? A, a cannibalistic <laughs> pig man?
4: You but the pig man doesn't theater. act that different you know what i mean like it's more of an, right. like, an aesthetic like, thing
3: right well yeah, and, and you, get to, you get to eat people for healthy people yeah <laughs> that part's pretty good
2: yeah it's uh i think part of it is like the the pig man is just like an amnesia like plot trope right in in a lot of ways but i think for me it's mostly also just that like so often the weirdness of it is like there's monsters in that cave
0: uh like <laughs> so, oh oh, oh no shit
2: like this world's really fucked up because the caves got <laughs> monsters in it, uh, and then there's a whole lot of like, man, uh, I hope there's no cannibal cults in the area. And round the corner, like pile of bodies, like the walls painted with blood, uh, and like they go to that well an awful lot uh, as well. And so I, I just ended up like, there's, there's a lot I liked about the game, um, but yeah, it just it, it felt. It felt thin in a way that I think some of the games that it wants to be associated with, you know, uh Ralph Collentonio's uh previous series, Dishonored, uh, you know, foremost among them, it, it it feels sort of thin and sparse in the places that those games felt like dense and rich. Uh mm-hmm. and I think that is that's fundamentally what what kind and, and that's not to say that, you know, the game has to be those things, but It replaces an awful lot of the stat, an awful lot of that stuff with kind of purely mechanical exercises, which are just not fun enough to sort of carry carry that weight. I mean, when we got down, you know, the sequence
3: that I think killed my interest in even playing this game and like having got enough from your streams was when you were going after the cultists and you were going out, you know, into it, probably for you was. The 15th dungeon that, you know, looked very similar to this to fight another 25 enemies was, uh oh, look at all these very convenient TNT and chemical barrels around here that have no reason to be here other than like to give Rob something to shoot so that those reactions will happen. And it just seemed to really strike at the limitations in terms of what this game systemically is capable of in which it's just got like, look, we don't have anything else. Like we built these fire systems in here. So we got to put this stuff here, even though narratively it makes completely no fucking sense for it to be here. And it's like, Oh, this is probably the case a billion times in this game. And like the lack of kind of just the lack of variety and the fact that it's like, it's a fairly long game. We're not talking about like, Oh look, Hey, it's 12 hours and like really dense in that 12 hours. Like every sense I get is that that game's like kind of twice that. Um, and and suffers as a result. And so when I saw that particular sequence, uh, I was like, ah, I, I think maybe I've seen enough here in a kind of a bummer way. Where like the arc of the first
2: stream to the end of the second stream was it kind of bummed me out. Yeah, that that scene was also I was kind of like, I can't do this. Any-. And like I could stealth my way through it. I just don't want to. I don't want to, to clear this. Many but also why? Full, right. Yeah. Like the, like,
3: you know, you're not. You know, there's no. uh you know, you, there's no morality meter. I mean, there is a morality thing, but it's not going to come into play during this combat. You know what I mean? Like, the game is lacking different systems that are frankly present in, you know, games like Dishonored that influence player behavior. Um, even if you still end up acting one way, there's at least an existing tension that you could act another way and that the world is pressing on you on, on some way or another as a result of it. And – um like in many ways this game seems like it would have been better if it just like kind of stripped away a bunch of that stuff and just like leaned into the action part of it. Um cuz like the characters and writing and world you know are pretty cool and fun and I I liked that, but um I don't know. The immersive sim part of it frankly seems pretty poor. Um and not that interesting. And the the what is there mostly just gestures at a game that could have been um or that they weren't building. Um and is is you know it's it's it wants to compare itself to games in its like milieu but i think only does so as as at a, a disservice to what it is what is even here um on the page
1: i think this what you're saying is kind of feels like it resonates with some what i was thinking of when you were talking about last time we talked about this game which is the fact that like when you're building an immersive sim like this you either have to build a ton of systems like the dishonored router like the morality system uh, or you have to build a handful of really strong systems that you use and implement very intentionally, and you build exceptions to, like that moment you were talking about last week, Rob, with uh, the banker who was just like in a fight for some reason, or this cave you're talking about, where like if you're going to have very specific and well developed systems, you have to choose when to use them and when not to use them very very carefully. Otherwise, it just falls apart like the 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 screen that the immersive sim is trying to cause like to create just doesn't exist and cannot exist
2: yeah it's and and that is the way the systems uh will just kind of fire off uh without a real sense of like the rhyme or reason that the game is trying to create in world Mm -hmm. uh that like there are causal connections but then the systems don't reinforce them they they undercut it yeah. um yeah i mean like i i i fundamentally come down on like you know i think we're trying to about this toward the end of the stream like if they make a weird west 2 or if they they take another crack at this I'd, I'd definitely be interested i wouldn't be surprised if i end up finishing that campaign because it's a very easy putterable game right like it's not bad times i'm having with it this it, it is a very simple game to fire up and like you know play around for an hour and do some stuff uh but yeah it's it's just you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, fairly repetitive stuff in it that I think drags the, drags the entire thing down. Um, it was not a pleasant surprise, unlike the other game, uh, I, I streamed <sighs> this week. Here it is, Ren. This is finally it. This is the segue can, that I thought I, I was, was coming actually, I was the entire to fucking think, show. <laughs> I was like, is there a way I can make a hard right turn at the left? And I can't. I can't. Uh... <laughs> So, Ren and I checked out the original Halo Wars real-time strategy game from 2009 by Ensemble Studios uh, the other day on stream. And does
3: Ensemble still exist? Are they? They're, no, they, no. Or they're gone. They were now, killed.
2: Right? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, I think, the, I think the Halo Wars games were, were Microsoft's last attempts to give to, them something to do, <laughs> right? And now it's ironic that they're like, oh, you know, we could bring back Age of Empires, but we'll have <laughs> okay. Relic make it under contract. Uh, like, it's, it's very funny, unforced error. But but here's the thing. Uh, I kind of loved it. You see? I was, yes. I was fucking delighted. <laughs> yes. um, Halo Wars is good. I don't know, like...
4: Wait a second. Patrick, have you played Halo Wars?
2: Yeah. I right? adored did, the first Halo Wars. Did you Wars. play
4: it on an Xbox? Uh, yes great the right way <laughs> rob gosh, out here man. with a fucking keyboard and mouse so completely. i say
2: like <laughs> something that was really palpable is that they'd actually done some clever things to try and make it controllable with controller that doesn't right even- that was the part rob I, like i i
3: somewhere buried in the internet is me doing like a one-up show segment about this game because like that was their and i was in presentations was like that was their huge pitch was that this was built, born. We have tried to figure out how do we convey to play one of these games on a controller. Um, whether that was like a worthy endeavor, I don't know. But I do, <laughs> it do, would not shock me if you playing it with a keyboard and mouse reveals th- that maybe I should have played it with a controller. Because a lot of what they were doing was like
2: designing the game, figuring that that people that's how most people were going to play it. Mm-hmm. I think the oddest artifact of it was it took me a while to figure out how powers were deploying, because what they've done is you hover over the target you want to hit with the power, and then you hit the hotkey to trigger it. Mm -hmm. And the unit goes and uses the power on its target, which is flipped from how most mouse and keyboard RTSs work, which is like you activate the ability. Then you click on the target and it it fires. And it saves the gesture, basically. Um by, by doing this, and it makes all the sense in the world if you're like holding a controller and you got your unit selected. Yeah. And now you're sort of like sweeping around the battlefield uh, uh, looking for you to fire it.
4: Uh it's a it's a it's a thing that some some RTSs had, right? Auto autocast was like the option you mm-hmm. could turn on mm-hmm. where it's like instead of doing the old the traditional Uh, ability then click on target you just hit the ability and it would fire immediately i feel like you could still do that in like dota and league these days too but uh i see how on a controller that would make much more sense because you're already smashing so many things onto a much smaller space that they would have to save like saving that one extra click would probably make it feel better in the long run
0: well
2: and the other thing that's kind of clever is um so, all the bases are just nodes on the map that have sockets attached to them, and each building, you access the things you can do there by pulling up a radial menu, but then also, mm. to a degree, the, the base itself, uh, it's shaped like a radial menu that you can sort of, like, sweep sweep around. Um... But like it's 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 a clever it's a clever like approach to uh like making a base builder RTS like for a for for a controller, and it actually still feels pretty good with mouse and keyboard. But honestly, the other part is I don't know how much you were, like I don't know how much it was coming through for for you, Ren. Um, mm-hmm. like how would you rate the the Halo vibiness of of Halo Wars?
1: I mean, the in mission segments are are they've got the purple guys what yell? Uh, they've got the little <laughs> Spartans who run around. <laughs> uh, they got the guys that go wort wort wort. They got they got the wort 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 guys. Um, <laughs> brought,
3: but Microsoft has hired a Halo consultant to take a look at this pitch from Ensemble. Um, got a checklist here. Uh, I yeah, it a wort?
1: It's got the purple guys. It's got the wort wort wort. Um, in terms of actual like Halo, Halo vibes, I do think that like. The pre-mission cutscenes are the appropriate amount of <laughs> Halo bullshit and like Halo style writing. Um, they're they're clearly trying to draw some comparisons uh, in, in relationships between like Commander Keys in the first Halo game with um, what's his name Colonel. Oh God, what's the, what's that motherfucker's name on the spaceship? The Yelly one. Yeah. Does his name start with an A?
4: <laughs> not, no one's quite sure. My brain said Abermore, um, but it's not Abermore. It's That's not like Abermore. different. <laughs>
1: um But like the Halo vibes are there. The Halo vibes are solid. Um, so far, it's it has not been the uh, lore repository that I feel like Rob or I desired.
2: I hoping for that. Because you'd think a game set 20 some years before... Halo, the story of of, of Halo 1. Do you think maybe the you know the the rebels would come up as a thing that the UNSC is also dealing with? You'd think there might be a bit more of a vibe of like, holy shit, we're in a shooting war with an alien species. You think that would still maybe feel weird in yeah. this world? And instead, it's very much like pitched at people who are coming to this from like the mainline Halo series who yes. are just like, yeah, of course I'm fighting the the, the Halo dudes. So I would oh, is... I would like to try a strategy game set yeah. in Halo because I'm
3: waiting for the next Halo shooter to come out.
1: So this is about is five years deep uh, in the Human Covenant War. And I think that the 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 thing is that, like, if I remember correct, this is not a justification, but this is just me delivering a lore fact that I believe is true. Uh, And also, like, true of why Halo Reach is the way that it is. If I remember correct, the UNSC, basically, the relationship with the Covenant very early on in the war was the Covenant were, one, classified, and then, two, once they weren't classified, uh, basically a ton of people were like, this is obviously a UNSC um, propaganda campaign. Like, this is... They were like, these aliens are 100% a propaganda campaign, which is part of why when the Covenant shows up at, like, insurrectionist bases and, and various pieces of media, people are like, what the fuck? Uh, because while the Covenant were, like, known about, they were known about as boogeymen, not as real entities that physically exist in the world and can fucking murk you.
2: This is the there, there has to be something in this world that inhabits that. So, again, going back to the Forward and the Dawn thing, the yeah. thing I love is the students at the Academy don't know this is real. Yeah, The people, like, throughout in the background that, that, that show they're deploying defenses against something in the background. Like there's always guys like setting up anti-aircraft missile batteries and like there's Marines showing up and it's all just happening in the background. And it's like the UNSC absolutely knows this is real, but like I'm so like, where is the thing in the halo universe that occupies in this weird, like gray area where they're fighting the covenant, but like it's not really a publicly acknowledged thing that is happening. They are still fighting the innies, trying to bring them back to heel. Uh, And then on the home front, they're trying to project this image that like literally everything is fine. the UNSC is just like it's dealing with some insurrectionists. But don't worry, we're, we're winning that war, too. And everything's gonna be normal soon. Like, where is the halo thing that exists in that little Venn diagram before the covenant war consumes everything? Yeah.
1: I I think part of the problem is that like it's mostly the books because the video games here's the problem with doing that that would almost guarantee you would have to be playing a video game where a Spartan shoots a human being in the head.
2: Hell yes. And, and they will never
1: do that. They that that's true, <laughs> but they will never do Microsoft will uh. never let Master Chief fucking dome a human man. Like Master Chief like in 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 a piece of official like a, a piece of official fiction. Uh, or, like, a piece of, like, official content, like, maybe in the show, right. but, like, in a Halo video game, you will never see Master Chief fucking brass someone. It's just not gonna happen. Um, They're too busy
2: making those, like, faux World War II retrospective documentary commercials for, like, Halo 3, where it's like, yeah. my squad was pinned down on Space Omaha Beach. I thought we were dead (laughs) and then Chief came through and like cue the like faux John Williams strings.
3: Hey man, I just saw while I was scrolling through Twitter earlier, someone Master Chief got naked in the new episode of the Halo series. Oh my god. Just like don't rule anything out right now.
1: The the closest you will get to this. Didn't show his dick though
3: but you get get to see Master Chief's ass is from what I understand.
1: Is Halo Reach uh, in which you do play as a character. Noble Six when they introduce that character like Hey, just just so you know, um, because like you join the Spartan team of Spartan threes and one Spartan two being George. And they're like, oh, let's it's Noble Six. That's cool. And then someone is like, hey, you know, that guy killed like 200 people, right? And then someone's like, he did fucking what? And they're like, yeah, he killed like 200 fucking people. Um, And the rest of that game, people are real weird around you. (laughs) um because you are you murked the shit out of a lot of folks um and there are there are gestures it in in reach and also like again not to not to stand halo 5 but to but for one second there (laughs) is a sequence in halo 5 uh that takes place on a planet (laughs) white
3: I didn't do anything. You need to be Oh, you had an expression, Patrick. Do not even say that. Patrick, Patrick. That was was gaslight.
1: (laughs) I thought I was the gaslight gatekeep girl boss, but no, in this moment, it is Patrick Club. No, Halo
3: 5 fans of gaslit you um, is, is frankly how I feel.
1: I liked the game when it came out. Self gaslighting
2: is called faith, and it's beautiful.
1: Thank you, (laughs) thank you, Rob Zachney. You understand me. Um, There is there is an one of the missions on Halo Five takes place on a planet that is trying to negotiate uh, a UNSC base being put there because basically the people there are like we have fully rebelled against you. You are not doing this, and the UNSC is like, no, no, no. And then like there is a pretty cool sequence where you are walking through that base and talking to the people there. And they're like, is that fucking Spartan? And like seeing that relationship, the tenseness of that relationship and like finding evidence of like the brutality that the UNSC has done to people is, I think uh, it's, it's like relatively well done. Um, It's like, okay, at least in my memory. Um, but like for the most part, yeah, the series just doesn't not, and I probably will never look at that relationship genuinely because when Master Chief shoots a uh, mer- like shoots, no, because a- you, yeah, you've
3: got to be the good guy, Marine. Like keep, Yeah,
1: like- <laughs> yeah like- it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. Like when Master Chief shoots a Marine, it's like the game's like, don't do that, uh, and it has to be done with a level of cartoonishness that you can't. I'm gonna say something weird. Video game friendly fire is universally cartoonish in a way that you cannot have if you are fighting human enemies. If you are fighting human enemies at any point in this series, that cartoonishness one completely disappears and two becomes really, really unsettling for the vast majority of people who don't care about the series lore, because suddenly you have like a six-year-old being like, or like a 12-year-old being like, I want to play Halo. And then they play Halo and they fucking merc someone. And it's like, oh, Uh, or someone in their life will go, oh, especially because of Halo's status as the like M-rated. But like when I was a kid, right, I was not allowed to play Call of Duty, but I was allowed to play Halo. Yeah. Yeah. And, And like, that that is the position that that Halo has sat in for a long time. That's why it dropped to a teen rating. Um, I'm shocked
2: it was ever M.
1: Yeah. I think it's because you can Um, shoot the Marines. Yeah, you still can't, but the difference is, like, the blood came out. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Halo 3 and ODST were both M ratings because they showed some pretty grisly. Also, it's like, so is Reach. Like, in the opening moments of Reach, you see someone hung up on the wall in a meat hook uh, and the hook is protruding from their body. And it's like, Oh, that's, that's that's kind of shit right there. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that is, that is why Rob that doesn't, I think that doesn't happen is because it would just be a PR nightmare, uh, for them to show, uh, the, the cool robot guys, uh, absolutely owning people. I was,
2: I was still kind of hoping it'd be like tutorial of like, we're going to teach you like the, the controls was rolling over like, uh, like rebel settlements, and then you end up like just getting ambushed by, like, oh, wait, we're fighting a completely different war here. Uh, now that would have been cool. Uh, instead, even, even allowing for that, uh, I still think they did cool things in that campaign. We had a few good missions, one which was like escort fleeing civilians to three different like evacuation sites, real like. Real rugged RTS campaign, like mission archetype, where you have to basically like control three lanes, uh, to to make make sure they stay open while you're sort of attacked from every side. That was kind of cool, uh, a way to mix it up. I also did just enjoy the um, you basically are defending a base, but you're holding out for a a full team because you only have a handful of Spartans. They're like very special hero units, and then the end of this mission. A full team Omega team uh, arrives it's like half a dozen Spartans, yeah, and you realize, and I think this is this is a cool thing. Um, maybe it's different in multiplayer, but in the single player campaign, the Spartans do not feel particularly balanced, and I really like that. I like the fact that they feel like you were unleashing an army of terminators that like are more effective than basically everything else you have it's it's sort of like that thing we were getting at uh when we were discussing the show the other week of like the spartans can seem like they're just guys in armor with guns and that can seem underwhelming for like how do they tip the balance of this conflict and then like what halo wars does a good job of selling is like oh no 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 they're they're more effective that they're like super agile, like ninja tanks basically. Um, and they can use every single weapon system to take down anything that comes their way. Uh, and so when you unleash a squad of Spartans in halo wars, they do a really good job of like one, the guns they carry just like wreck house, but two, like the, the little special attack ability where you click on an enemy vehicle and like, Hey Spartan, go, go hijack that you can just take over as you should covenant hardware because a spartan will go flying across the map land on it and start like punching his way in through the hatch like and whip the little covenant dude out and take it over and that is that is actually a really good depiction uh especially in the framework of an rts of like why is this unit cool why are spartans special um and and here it's because in this context they do stand out from the rest of your menu of units
1: I think that, like, this is part of, like, the Halo TV show's failure, is that, like, they did that moment. The elites got that moment. When the elites show up and one of them fucking shoulder checks a truck and it just goes flying, that is the moment where it's like, okay, this is a different level. And then the show tries to justify it with being like, and the Spartans can can kill the elites, which means that they are also... And, like, you can't do that that work by association. You have to show a Spartan get on top of a fucking ghost and put yes. their fist through it. Like, like... That is the thing that makes them better is the fact that they are physically faster, stronger by like multiple orders of magnitude, uh, and are better shots than literally everyone, again, by several orders of magnitude. Um, And like, yeah, they are ninja tanks. It's basically what happens if you like... Took a, a vehicle and was like, what if we made this person sized and really quiet and and just were able to like break through walls? Just just an insane nightmare creature. Yeah. Um,
2: and like that that is coming through in an RTS where RTSs, I think, often struggle to sell a sense of like weight or power with units because it mm-hmm. can just look like they play their little animation. Then like a little hit points bar goes down mm-hmm. one way or the other. And here it's like, no, everything has a really delightful like physicality uh, as they as they engage in battle.
1: I think there's a really smart decision that they make with specifically the characters with a Spartan laser. Um, One of your Spartans uh, in that one of those missions has uh, was like noted as a sniper. That was what they were technically called in the game. That motherfucker just had a Spartan laser and where everyone else is doing the RTS thing of like tick, 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 make it, you know, do my animations, make the numbers go down. Every time a Spartan fires a Spartan laser, a wraith was losing like a quarter of its health bar. It was just like melting and these big chunks that felt really, really good, even to watch. As I was like watching the stream, was like, "Ah, oh, Spartan Lisa looks real, real good," <laughs> uh, in a way that was like really satisfying. In the same way that like Spartans just shred vehicles by just like punching the shit out of them because their their big robot hands will just cave in the front of your fucking ghost. Um, it's 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 it's, it's real neat.
2: Yeah, I am. I'm really like I think I'm gonna play more of that. Should I? How invested are you in 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 watching that Ren?
1: I'm fine to hang out and and okay. While
2: so I shouldn't play. play you... I shouldn't play a bunch of it this weekend.
1: No, you couldn't. <laughs> you can't. I don't yeah. care. I'm saying that right. I will. I will. I will join you. Okay. On this track if you want me there. But if yeah. you're like over the weekend, you're like, ah, oh, damn, I was just playing Halo Wars. Right? Just go play Halo. It's fine.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Follow uh, your heart, Rob. I think because I think I'm going to play a bit more Halo Wars. I think <laughs> I want to continue my <laughs> well, little Halo follow journey. Follow your heart, Rob yeah uh there, there there was a whole like you know th- we we taken out a, a covenant base and like there were some traps left behind and like some sort of chained up tank dinosaur looked real scary uh and so Pretty i'm sure that dinosaur is made of worms
1: that was made of worms that was a scary okay. worm yeah watch worm the stream
2: dinosaur. ren came up with a very good bit <laughs> And I'm sho- I'm annoyed God, and shocked that, at how it effective it was, which is, is, is 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 Ren giving real or fake Halo War? Uh, Halo War. Halo lore. Uh, I encourage you to watch it. I'm not even going to ta- tell, like... Yeah. It is... <laughs> the results will surprise you. Uh, uh, it also
1: forced me to go on a weird hunt to determine if a particular piece of information was true or not, which required me to, to begin streaming... Streaming onto my PC, Halo Four, so I could look at a very particular vehicle model to determine the veracity of a specific rumor.
2: Yeah, um, uh, so yeah, be, be sure and check that out. But yeah, I think I am gonna play a little more, a little more Halo Wars. Now, the weird thing is, it seems I was I was digging through this the other night. It seems like Halo Wars Two got a frostier reception, but also I've heard it's like actually even better. I think it just yeah. kind of came too late.
3: Uh, yeah. Like, like I didn't, I didn't play it either, despite really quite liking Halo Wars One, and I don't have a good explanation for why I didn't play two, which I think is, ba- which basically explains a lot of people. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, <laughs> I think it was a sort of uh,
1: when did it yeah, I, come out? I, I don't. Out. It came out in 2017, I believe. Really? Um, I believe so. February 21st,
4: 2017. So, yeah, right what a week, my guess is, like, if I had a half, half before d- Breath of the Wild,
2: <laughs> wow, the I, I, I think some of the
3: novelty wore off, right? right? So, I think it was like, oh, like, well, if you're gonna make a Halo Wars 2, why not just lean into making like a proper PC strategy game? Um, but I don't know, I, I'm filling in some of the mental blanks for me here on, on why, I didn't, why I didn't play that. Um, also, Halo Wars 1 just came out when I gave a shit more about Halo than right. I did by Halo Wars 2 comes out. <laughs> in the 343 era in which I'm like, no,
4: please stop. It's like, not even a in my movie. I searched Halo Wars 2 to find the exact uh release date and under the people also asked, it says, why is Halo Wars What's 2 Halo Wars
0: 2 so, so good? good? <laughs>
2: yeah. Um see and on waypoint, we're trying to get to the bottom of these questions <laughs> that people <laughs> are asking. See, on one hand, it's like, hey. Trying to figure out these return-to-work
3: policies, trying to figure out how you balance all these more ethical labor dilemmas. And also,
2: why is Halo Wars 2 so good? <laughs> you
0: know, we a website
2: that exists in multitudes. Yeah. Many people have been asking why Halo Wars 2 is so good. Well, to understand why Halo Wars 2 is so good, you have to look at the decisions they made that helped Halo Wars 2 be so good. That's that's me. SEO article writing. Oh my
4: God. I love it. God. um, Imagine a world where podcasts turn into that because they start scrubbing out audio.
1: No, no, I can't. I can't. I mean, like that. I mean, if they did that specifically with like misogyny, I feel like those Manosphere podcasts would suddenly do really, really well if they were like manos They SEO for <laughs> SEO scrubbing
0: for misogyny, and suddenly it's like. Patrick have a stroke.
2: <laughs> is this okay. is this anything? <laughs> I guess we know the answer.
1: <laughs> oh, the fucking dead silence which overtook the podcast oh. after Man <laughs> Listen, let's justify it. after all listen, I will be I, I feel in my heart of hearts that there will come a time where I am vindicated for my Halo 5 opinions and I and I and I stand by that. I oh, will we live be in vindicated.
3: a world where as long as someone makes a 12-hour essay saying it's good, I guess it's good now. is just uh, you know, that's that's the world we live in.
1: And no one said I was gonna make a 12 hour essay. I'm saying well, I didn't
3: it. say you had to make it. I'm just I'm sure it's out there.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm just saying that Rob Zachney will eventually get to Halo 5. And be like, god oh, damn, this is this is a really, really good and fun video game. Look at that. Wow, this is this is the best the series has ever felt.
3: I really doubt that.
1: Halo 5 is legitimately the best the series has ever felt.
3: Mechanically, sure. Storytelling. may as well not exist i
2: feel like i remember playing halo 5 and feeling like just it didn't feel like a very good halo game to me but that was like but i was also like this was playing at a friend's house uh so Mm -hmm. i will i'll have to there's so much i have to take on board in all of this the the journey uh the journey of a thousand miles uh begins with a single halo wars one mission
3: you know, if you look up what order should I play the Halo games, I'm sure I'm
4: sure they all say start chronological with order. Therefore, start with Halo Wars because it's the earliest in the timeline.
1: I, I also on the record on the record. There's a lot of indications that the 343 era is significantly different, is significantly different from the Bungie era. It, a lot. Most of the, stay, like a lot of the team stayed like a lot of the team stayed like a lot of the team stayed <laughs>
3: over i'm not i'm not gonna keep doing what? this sure <laughs> then the storytelling still sucks like it no, doesn't it's not matter if the team's there
1: no i mean i'm talking about the mechanics because people tried to claim sure. that four and five are mechanically different from the series or somehow like significantly worse and i just wanted on the record that a lot of the team stayed and also halo reach lays the foundation mechanically for four and five so completely that trying to treat uh four and five as like a mechanical break from the rest of the series uh is is objectively wrong
3: Shooting was not my problem with those games. Shooting felt just fine. Um, A small thing before we get out of here. uh, Mm -hmm. Just wanted to shout out, uh, I guess not a shout out, but there's a breaking news um, in that uh, I guess Activision Blizzard has just issued a a memo that it's going to convert 1,100 of its temporary uh, and contract QA testers into full time. Um, And they will be bumped up to at least twenty dollars an hour which feels like a thing that does not occur with a lot without a lot of other things probably including sacrifices made by folks over at raven and you know uh discussions of unionization that's fucking cool i'm very happy for those people over at uh activision blizzard the qa is like one of the most thankless fucking jobs internally and externally especially externally <laughs> gamers very shitty to QA people. Very important to the, the way you play your games. But uh yeah, I think that's that rules. Uh wait, that's all that, I hope more of all them, of them. More, no, so Jason Schreier originally tweeted all and then the clarification was not all. So I don't know how many they do have, but um and, and why it's not all. I've like pinged Activision to try and get some clarification on that. But eleven hundred is a lot of people that are gonna be making more money yeah. and have more uh
2: Uh, you know, benefits as a result. That's also kind of a you guys don't need a union. No, we got you. Uh Uh (laughs)
0: Look,
4: (laughs) all you do is escalate your
2: concerns, talk to a manager. The system works, the system works, or an HR business partner. (laughs) Jesus Christ. We're we'll, we'll, not wrong, you but out. look,
3: that's the pressure. You know, whether or not you know, I who know you know, who knows how the unionization sorts out over there. But like, shit gets better for people because you apply as a group. That's the whole point, one way or
2: the other. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like companies will do like better things if they are scared of something at right. any moment. Like if companies are appropriately scared, <laughs> then good things tend to happen, um, and so it is. You, It is about making sure they maintain a proper level of fear uh, at (laughs) at all moments, uh, which is ultimately why you still need the union. Um, But yeah, uh, that is that is very cool. And that is, uh, you know, clearly a response to these pressures that have been building in this uh, the advocacy uh, that's happened in that space. Um, And I mean, to the to the earlier discussion, like, you know, Talking about how return to work has happened over advice, which is a union shop versus like, you know, mm-hmm. riot, which is mm-hmm. not. Yep. Um, that's also probably yeah, part can- of this. Cannot be well. extracted from that discussion yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think we will wrap up today's episode of Waypoint Radio right there. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint uh, on Facebook and YouTube. Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Uh, Patrick, where can people find you? At Patrick Klobick. Ren.
1: You can follow me on Twitter at Ren or Raven.
2: Kato.
4: At A underscore Kato underscore appears.
2: Uh you can also check out what we published on waypoint.vice.com. com. Uh, this week uh to the point earlier. Uh Patrick wrote up uh, a piece about the issues at Riot around the return to return to office and Ren closed the loop on Abermore, uh, with a piece sort of like figuring out where that where that game uh, set so, uh, both both worth reading. Go go check them out. Uh, we've also been streaming a whole bunch thanks to Waypoint Plus. Uh, thanks to the people who've signed up at waypointplus.com. we were able to wrap up our Weird West streams uh, with that ser- with a with that series of misadventures uh, as a pigman, and then I got to spend an afternoon tucked beneath Ren's mighty lore wings uh, as we roosted <laughs> in the rafters above Halo Wars. Uh, I think we might take another little. Uh, visit with Halo Wars uh, soon uh, maybe next week and I believe some Sid Meier's Gettysburg also uh, will to keep on schedule it has to start happening soon uh, so <laughs> yeah, you gotta send me um, that CD-ROM yeah I gotta, gotta mail that uh, CD-ROM absolutely um, and if Just anyone <laughs> you've already looked to the courier you know can they get to Chicago <laughs> Just suburbs? Sure. how much more could it be uh so we'll we'll have that coming up uh as well and for our waypoint plus listeners of course there is the upcoming uh norco spoiler cast Uh, If all that sounds good, or you just want more waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. That gives you access to our premium feed and also helps support waypoint and everything else we do here. Um,
3: right, I have to show you before we look, I haven't sent this in the mail yet, but I need I want I would just want to show it to you. before. it's in a box. It's all yes, yes, yes. There's the pocket that I brought all the way to New York to give to Cato, and I didn't, yeah. um, So instead, it's gonna go in the box. Uh, but this this is part of the you will get this part. Patrick um, is holding up a, a large like- box.
4: It's kind of mahogany. Yes! Oh my god. Yes. That's a giant millenn-
1: millennia. That's my wife. That is millennia. <laughs> That's my, That's my wife. wife. They put my they put my wife in a box. Is she painted? <laughs> Is it painting?
4: Yes, yeah. it is. Oh, yeah. It is it's wonderful. It is yeah, I've not,
1: tu- not taken it out. It's I'm, a really nice it. quality. It looks like. Uh, like put it my looks wife in Really, a box. really. Uh, cool. Oh, is that um, Kayla
4: there? Is she in the? The fucking red sky It's just like. Mm. Oh yeah, not good.
3: That's, <laughs> my That's my wife.
1: That's my wife. It's my and wife. There's some other
3: goodies in there for you, kind of alongside the pocket. Strongest, the strongest, uh, the yeah, strongest character
1: you. in that entire setting. That's <laughs> not I a joke. T-
3: She's she's uh,
1: she fucking owns. Yeah. Oh God. I did take
3: the I took the pop boy. There was a pop boy like stuffed animal thing in there. I <gasps> Amazing. was like, that's mine.
1: That's so cute. Yes.
3: Rather, it's not mine. Uh my uh child took that oh! and and immediately took the the, uh, the the Elden Ring blanket. And I for Christmas I got my wife this Evil Dead blanket. It was like styled off of like a VHS thing. It's like very comfortable too. Opened it. My child immediately takes the grotesque horror blanket into her room and then when the Elden Ring one showed up she's it's like, cool, can cool. I have that and I'll give you back the other blanket
0: <laughs> sure, Amazing. so now my
3: wife can get Amazing. the blanket I got for her for Christmas <laughs> and now the Elden Ring blanket is something that I fold every morning nicely onto my daughter's bed uh, at, when she goes to school,
1: I love trading I love, I love I love kids Bartering. bartering, yeah <laughs> It worked out for everyone.
3: You know, it's a, it's a smaller blanket. The Evil Dead one's very big. The Elden Ring one is a little, a little smaller, and so it actually, it fits her. It fits her very well.
2: We don't have anything that cool we can sell you at the Waypoint General store, but nonetheless, <laughs> yes. we also have some Interesting collectibles, uh, <laughs> delectable collectibles, let us say, uh, at waypointgeneralstore.com. We are selling a mug. And Kato recently informed us the color is wrong for the Waypoint logo. But that's actually cool. It, it because seems like it only Because sometimes? the Waypoint logo, its color can't exist in reality. Uh, that's what you said, uh, Kata. Right? Like that is a color that can only be seen the ga- uh, online.
4: It's possible that the gamut of it is outside of the gamut of a printer. Outside
2: yes. of the physical realm, <laughs> uh, the waypoint, the waypoint teal that we all know and love, only exists uh, in the realm of the digital. You have to be jacked in to see it. You have to be honest. Uh, otherwise, the best we can do is this. Is this depiction in 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 physical form uh painted on this mug in a in a similar similar yeah yeah um Uh,
4: i feel like some of them i've seen more and more pictures of them and it seems like it might be a little bit just uh you know it'll go back and forth a bit they got pretty close on some
2: that's what happens when you're dealing with a with a color so uh powerful you know (laughs) on the borders uh, between two realities right. uh, I think it's it's only liminal it we're liminal over here <laughs> um, hey, in I'm some ways that person here. who got shipped blank mugs had the truest Waypoint mug of all <laughs> anyway our theme music is by Bowen A track <laughs> Miss You off the E.P. Pale Machine learn more at mm. waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N mm. uh, for now we're calling time on this week we'll talk to you again next week until then fuck capitalism go home terrify your boss